Mr. Patrick read the chapter for us, Mark 4. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves sinners. I won't ask for a show of hands, but that's all of us here. We need to hear the gospel again this morning. Years ago, Pastor Bailey preached through the gospel of... John. And that gospel was written, he writes at the end of it, that gospel was written so that we will, starts with a B, zeal, so that we will believe, that's right. And so this morning we come again to the gospel according to Mark. Just a little reminder here briefly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Three accounts from different men, all testifying to the same manner of events, just simply from different vantage points. So, for example, any four of you could describe any part of this room, and you might describe it from different vantage points. That doesn't make only one of you right and the rest wrong. It's just different vantage points. Never be thrown off by Bible scholars, foolish professors who tell you that the Gospels are inconsistent. It's not true. It's been said that God's Word is the great anvil of time. People try to hit it, and you're just going to damage the tools that you have, but the anvil still remains. That's God's Word. Don't be fooled by fools who don't trust God's Word. New Testament and Greek scholars, a lot of them are students of Bart D. Ehrman. He's a professor at North Carolina. Professor Ehrman, before Princeton Theological Seminary, anyone know where he went before Princeton? I said this to you when I preached from Mark 1, but that was a long time ago. It actually makes sense. It explains perfectly well why he's such a cynic. Airmen went to Wheaton College, and he is the perfect kind of wicked cynic that a lot of weak Christians fall prey to, but don't be intimidated. He is a fool. I mean, I haven't read up on him for a while. He may have repented. Pray that Professor Airman will repent. <sighs> These religious studies... Departments are often very wicked. We have friends who are in the pastorate who can testify. But don't be fooled. Again, we're talking about the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is different. God is true, though every man is a liar. If we prize our precious intellect and our education and our fill-in-the-blank, remember this. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God is in the business of giving us over. You think sexual sin is fun? It's not. God may one day give you over. Remember the Israelites. You think you want quail? You're asking for meat to eat? You're sick of what I've been giving you? Remember Numbers 11. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. 
and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. We were so well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? God gives people over. Don't idolize only the life of the mind. Now, give yourself to study. Don't get me wrong. You need to be knowledgeable. You need to be wise. But a wise man once told me, never let school get in the way of your education. There's so much life to live that's just beyond just your arithmetic or just your literature. So we're going to continue to go through the Gospel of Mark where we see the miracles of Jesus. And we certainly see that this morning. None of us know Jesus like we should. I don't care if you've read the Gospels a hundred times. The Gospel of Mark is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. It's shorter than the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew focused in a lot of places on the sermons of Jesus Mark focuses on the miracles of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. Theologians call it the hypostatic union, the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Jesus Christ. Mark is a very straightforward, a very raw account of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not so much the interpretation as here are the facts. So, understand that Mark wrote to the early church. What's true about the early church is that it was being intensely persecuted. And what faces you, friends, is what has always faced true Christians for the last two millennia. You need the facts. You need the encouragement. You need the faith. We need Jesus. We need to know about the climax which built to the passion of the Christ, his crucifixion and then resurrection, and then his ascension, his pain for your and my sins. Because for you to live as a true Christian today, it will mean discipleship, which means discipline. From God's good and provident hand, it'll mean pruning, sanctification. All of us are facing suffering. In this church, anytime things are going well, Suddenly, bam, health issues, or spiritual issues, mental issues, physical. We all face suffering and temptations. We all face persecutions. If we love Jesus, then we will keep his commandments. On the Sanityville thread, it's a forum, you can look it up, Warhorn Media and Sanityville. Some were asking, how can you sum up the Christian life? And someone said, it's basically obedience. Someone said, well, it's a life of repentance, as Luther said. I do like that answer. It's a life of obedience. As I was a young Christian in evangelical circles, I would say things like, well, the Old Testament was about laws and rules, and now it's not about laws and rules anymore because Jesus has forgiven us. 
I was ignorant of the Bible. That's not what Jesus says. So study your Bible. And if the world hates us, and it will, if you're a Christian, know that it hated him first. So without further ado, here we turn to the parable of the sower and the soils. We'll start in verses 1 through 9. What are the first words? I'm, I'm going to block this third out. I'm always tempted. Someone else has to say it. What are the first words Jesus says in this passage? I don't see or hear you. What are the first words that Jesus says in this passage? No one's even looking at their Bible. Do some research. I'll wait, I'll wait here all morning. Dang it, it's up behind me. I'll say it anyway. It says, what's that? Listen to this. Really, the, the to this is implied. That's lame. I almost don't want it behind me anymore. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just proud. Jesus says, that the to this is implied. Jesus says, listen. Pray for my family, obviously, and me. I am a short-tempered man. That's a confession. Pray for me. You know what the Bible says about being short-tempered? The Bible says, in other words, that's just dumb. Foolish people are quick to anger, and yet there is a difference between now son, now daughter, please could you possibly consider maybe listening to me once in a while? I'm sorry I even tried to speak. There's a difference between that, which has no authority, and listen. Which one has a captive audience? The first one is weak. The second one gets a captive audience. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus is angry here. When Jesus was angry, it was always righteous. What I'm saying is that we talk too much and we listen too little. That's true of me. I'm obligated to talk to you this morning, so give me the benefit of the doubt here. The good Lord gave you one mouth and two ears so that you will listen at least twice as much as you speak. If in doubt, shut your mouth. At least open your ears. Now, I'm not saying that I've learned this. There are things that I say every day that I regret saying. Every day. But I have a thought. Everybody needs to hear my thought. And then you say something which I'll suffer until I have to tell you my next thought. Because it's coming from me. It might matter to you, but for various reasons, you maybe just shouldn't say it. And so Jesus says, listen. Imagine the crowd and how loud they were. Everyone had something important to say. Jesus speaks, listen. Some of us here talk and talk and talk. And then you know what we do after talking? We talk more. And the problem with that, at least for someone like me, I don't know if I'm ADHD. I've never been diagnosed ADHD. The problem is the more someone talks, especially about things that simply don't matter, eventually people stop listening to you. It just sounds like 
white noise. It's like I hear sound coming out of your mouth and I see your lips moving. The Beatles sang a really good song about that. The most intriguing people to me are the ones who I know they're wise and I know the wheels are turning and there's something wise going on in there and they may not say it. Mr. Waldy here, the grammar principal, he'll do this. He'll just walk up and down the hallways. You know he's thinking about a thousand things. But he'll speak when he needs to. I respect that. A polymath, a person of wide-ranging knowledge or learning, a Renaissance polymath. In Pastor's College, Pastor Max in Indiana, my second son's namesake, he told me, Paul, I want you to think about things 100 times more before you speak. 100 times more. I hear giggles. Why is that? That's rude. 15 years later, I think I'm currently at about three, three and a half out of 100. So again, pray for me. But too much talking. The individual present here today who I have in mind, who simply talks too much is... No, it's, it's me, actually. I need to know when to shut my mouth. Kiddos, you may have heard, put your foot in your mouth. It means to say or do something that upsets, offends, or embarrasses somebody without intending to. I do it multiple times a day. But back to the text. And so Jesus says to the multitude, he says... What's the first word that Jesus says? Listen. Okay, I finally, in my ramblings, gotten back to one word. So we have a lot of other words to go through. This, it won't take that long. After Jesus gets their attention, does Jesus speak weakly and ineffectively? No. Jesus speaks as one having authority. Those who have authority and don't speak as though they have it, it's sad and embarrassing and faithless. Jesus didn't suppose and speculate and theorize. Jesus spoke with authority because he had it. Authority belonged to him. And if the good Lord has placed you in a position of authority, then speak as though you have it. Shame on you if you don't. You must know that you have authority if God has placed you in that position. And they must know that you have authority. Otherwise, everyone will be confused. The teenager that lives under your roof is under your jurisdiction. And both they and you need to know that. Now, I'm not telling you to be tyrannical to be overbearing, again, think about things 100 times more before you speak. But when you get done thinking about it, then speak with authority. Jesus says, listen. Now, the same verses 1 through 9, what are Jesus' final words? In 1 through 9, blocking you out. Verses 1 through 9, what are Jesus' final words? Oh, it's behind me, of course. Short-term memory loss. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is telling us to listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think it's important for us to listen and hear. King Jesus wants us to listen. The words of Jesus Christ demand our attention. If you don't want to listen, that's foolish. In these verses, we have the parable of the seed and the four sorts of ground. Who here knows a farmer? Do you know a farmer? Okay, that's at least 15 or 20. Who has ever previously done farming work? Fewer hands. Who is a farmer currently? You can keep your hand up. You guys are doing a little farming up there. The Morwoods have a little oasis. We're going up there when it gets real bad out here. What's that? Open 24-7. Always up for a challenge. I love it. So many parables and so much of Scripture is lost on us because we don't know farming. We don't know war. Among other things, a lot of Scripture is lost on us. We live a comfortable life. Jesus often spoke in parables so that the people would listen. When Jesus begins by explaining about the sower sowing the seeds, he has a very captive audience. He has their attention, and that helps them to understand what he's about to say. When Jesus teaches about agriculture or war or poverty, wealth, these things matter to the people very much. The Apostle Paul understood this. He writes to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, the law so that I might win those who are under the law. He's concerned about sowing the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. For the sake of the gospel, so that I, the Apostle Paul, may become a fellow partaker of it. The Apostle Paul didn't want to lose the race. And you think, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote almost, I don't know the percentage, he wrote so much of the New Testament. He's talking about so that he may become a fellow partaker of it? Yeah, that's what a humble man, an apostle, would say. That's why Christians and pastors certainly love the Apostle Paul, because he loved Jesus and he loved preaching the gospel. The Apostle Paul wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people would believe and have faith and salvation in Christ. And so with Jesus, he taught in many places. He taught in the synagogue to the wise and the learned. And here again we see Jesus teaching by the seaside so that the masses of the poor and the uneducated people would also hear the gospel. But back to the parable, Jesus is discussing seed. And the farmer, when he sows the seed, the farmer wants to see fruit 
The farmer wants to see a return on his investment. You're not sowing seed for no reason. Gotta love Matthew Henry. If you just want a basic understanding of the text, often Matthew Henry is right on. Henry writes, a vine dresser expects grapes from a vine. Logical. And our Lord, when he sees a Christian, he expects to see the fruit of Christianity. We are not Christians in name only, but also by deed. Unfruitful trees are said to lie. And God does not like a plant that does not bear fruit. A plant that does not bear fruit is only good for firewood. You don't want to be thrown in the fire. So bear fruit and pray that God will lead you into bearing fruit by the power of His Spirit. But you cannot and will not do that on your own. You can just as easily bear fruit, like our parable, the seeds, you can just as easily bear fruit as the limb of a fruit tree which has been cut off and is laying on the ground without the Lord. We must abide in Christ and then God will simply do the work in you. He's already prepared these good works so that you don't get the glory, but so that he gets the glory. Notice in this parable that the sower sows his seed and he sows it liberally. He sows it everywhere. The seed fell in all kinds of different places. God's word is available to you basically anywhere and everywhere today. What percentage of the seed fell into good soil and produced fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold? If we have four seeds, what percentage resulted in fruit? Who's the math whiz among the kiddos? You could use a fraction, you can use a percentage. Only a fourth, only one out of the four. On the other hand, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Spiritually speaking, what other Bible analogy says that an animal wants to devour? The Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. I should have read that verse last year. Because he cares for you, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Some of the seed gets snatched up. There's other seed that fell on rocky ground. Didn't have much soil. And even though it sprang up quickly, it had no established root. So when the sun beat down, it ended up coming to nothing. Remember Herod. Jesus calls him that fox, if I remember. Herod used to listen. Maybe I'm getting my Herods messed up. Used to listen to John the Baptist gladly. Well, I'm sorry. Herod was no friend of the gospel and kingdom of Jesus Christ. But he used to listen to him gladly. There's another type of seed which fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Hypocrites. 
It's like shelling a peanut, but there's no peanut. There's no meat inside. Or peeling an orange. There's no fruit. It's just an orange peel. That's a downer. Or it's like you come home from the takeout and you smell a delicious pizza. And then you open it up. No pizza. In all seriousness, the church in America and around the world, especially for the last four years or so, the church is being sanctified and purified. We want to be Christians that actually obey our Lord. We want to be Christians that bear fruit for our Lord. Lord, have mercy on us and lead us by the Spirit to do just that. Christians, both inwardly and outwardly. We could go on and on. This, um, this chapter has a lot of wonderful things in it. But what I'll do is I'll go here toward the end. In verses 35 through 41, Jesus stills the sea. Just a thought on this, and then we'll pray. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The miracle of Christ's sudden stilling a storm at sea. The same boat was now in a storm. And what is used for Jesus Christ, he will take particular care of. There are missionaries There are humble Christians. Their their faith may be very weak. There are very poor Christians all around the world that the Lord is providing for them right now. You'll never know their name. They won't make the New York Times. If you are a Christian, then He will put you into His service for your good, and His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. If you belong to King Jesus, He will take particularly good care of you. Thanks be to God. And all God's people said...